Praise God. Amen. I don't like quiet church. Not in this church. God spoke to me actually today. He said, son, how do you like your new home? I said, thank you, Lord. It's an amazing home, Light City Church. So he's translated us from Selma. And we're happy to call Light City Church our home. So we're here for one reason, to serve. To serve you all. Well, let's pray real quick. Father, we thank you again for this opportunity that you've given us to search and to dive into your word. Lord, we ask for that spirit of revelation and wisdom to come forth now in Jesus' name. And Lord, everything that you want to release tonight, Holy Spirit, use my lips and my voice and my body and my life to communicate to your people your message. Because this is your message. And we thank you for this holy time. We thank you, Jesus, for the precious flow that you've given to us, that you poured out eight quarts of your blood at Calvary on a hill, Golgotha. And Lord, you prepared us beforehand. You've prepared us now. And we receive, Lord, that the Buffalo Niagara region is entering the bridal chamber. And Lord, it's a new start, it's a virgin start. We're coming to meet the love of our souls. And Lord, what you are gonna release in this area, because we're falling in love with all of you. And we're not putting limitations on anything that you've done, because we love you, Jesus. And we're here because we love you, Jesus. Holy Spirit, teach us, renew us, and break all our sacred cows. In Jesus' name, amen. We got no cows in this church. So we hid from the presence of God. And God said in response, after cursing the devil and cursing the ground and thorns came through, and into creation, didn't exist before then. He made this amazing statement that we discussed last week. You will eat bread. You will eat lahem. You will eat my presence. You're hiding from me, but here's what I'm declaring to you. Not only will you be my presence because I'll live in you, but you're gonna eat my presence. Let's think about that. Not more than two minutes because it'll make your mind go. (laughs) That God from the very beginning said when we hid, he said, not on my watch. And he's got the only watch going on. And so we have this flow through, through Adam and then Noah And his promise to Noah is saying that he would never curse the ground again. And that he said to Noah, he said, be fruitful and multiply. But he didn't say have dominion, what he had said to Adam and Eve. Because if he said have dominion, he would have been stepping outside because the one had to come. Jesus had to come and get back the keys of authority that we gave away. 
And so Jesus makes that declaration, says, be fruitful and multiply. And then, of course, we move into the Abrahamic covenant where God took Abram and he added the A-H, they add the Ruah, the breath of God to Abraham, made a covenant with him, said, you'll be the father of many nations. And yet, God begins to deal with us grafted in to Abrahamic blessing and covenant through the blood of Jesus. He makes a statement and he says, uh, after Abraham has a great victory, goes and recovers Lot's family. And when God's in the process of changing his name and adding the A-H, the breath of God to his name, Melchizedek, Jesus of the Old Covenant, comes out and meets him with what? Lahem lapenem, the bread of faces, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and wine. And so not optional for us now because we've been grafted in through the blood of Jesus, that the bread of presence was now being introduced as into a covenant-making God. And God continued to deal with what he had released with thorns. Thorns and thistles will grow. And prophetically, he declares again to Abraham, as he goes to a place in obedience that was counted unto him as righteousness, not holding back his only son Isaac. And he comes to that place and we all know the story. And he's about to raise his knife. He raises his knife and God says, stop. And there caught in an acacia bush, a thorn bush, was a ram. Signifying that God will always supply the sacrifice. God provided the male sacrifice and which Abraham ended up killing. So thorns and bread, God moves through in a, as a covenant-making covenant God. He moves and he continues to develop this amazing story of love. And we get to Moses. And Moses has an encounter with God. He turns aside to see this bush that is burning, but not consumed. The bush, as Stephen lets us know, and we were given the clue in Acts 7 and verse 30, that it was a, a thorn bush. So again, a covenanting God with Moses, a type of Jesus, the deliverer. And he announces, in, as is recorded in Exodus 3, verse 6, so I've come down to deliver them from the power of the Egyptians. So in a burning bush that is not consumed because God came to save and not consume. And God was not burning up the bush because the thorns of the bush he had not yet worn. And so the thorns were not consumed because he had not yet come. And so we have this, we have this evolving story of amazing grace and love. Moses encountering God in a thorn bush. The fire of God 
not consuming, but saying he's coming to deliver. So God announces that he's coming as the deliverer. And he's going to deliver his people from the Egyptians. He's going to deliver his people from the thorns of their life, the sins that so easily beset us. The greatest sin that always besets us is our own unbelief. Not believing in who God is. It's not what you do or what you don't do, it's what you believe. And we have to choose to believe. So God enters, he comes, and in the, in the coming of him in a thorn bush, announcing that he's gonna deliver his people from the Egyptians, from slavery. When he announced he was coming to deliver us from the slavery to our sin and wipe it all out for once, when he cried out on the cross, it is finished. When God says it is finished, it's finished. Amen. And we as a church need to stop bringing up things because Jesus declared it is finished. That's an eternal statement running through eternity without end. It runs through eons and eons of time. There's no limit to that statement. Once God speaks it, so it is. An eternal word running through what we call time. The eternal present where God lives. It is finished. You're going to a church and they're making you feel guilty about all the sins you're committing? Find another church. That's how you get into another gospel. That's the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's the religion. The two greatest things that impact the church, the leaven of the Pharisees. Keep my rules, do my rules and you'll be okay. I'll set a standard and when you mess up and when you fall down, I'll make sure everybody knows about it because then I'm establishing my own righteousness by looking at you and saying, you lousy sinner. Or the religious, the political spirit that gets released. We see it all the time. What does a political spirit do? It will always distance itself from the problem. And so whenever we move away from it is finished, that's where we're going. And we got all kinds in the body of Christ, God have mercy on all of us. Because we got out of our heart and into our head. Are we supposed to be in our head? Yes. Are we supposed to be in our heart? Yes. You see, here's a kingdom principle. We always like to make it either or or, either or. But in the kingdom, it's always both and. It's never either or. And so we have this amazing encounter. Jesus announcing that he's going to become a deliverer. So tied into thorns and thistles is the mystery of the incarnation. 
That thorn bush prophetically is the womb of Mary. That God would come and take the flesh of a woman. And so we have this amazing unfolding story as it goes and it flows and ebbs and flows in the lives of people. Continuing with Moses, and we have this prophetic collision in scripture where God not only announces he's gonna become as the deliverer, that the incarnation, he's making that statement that I'm coming. I'm coming and I'm gonna make it all right and all good. We have this one sentence, Exodus 25 verse eight, let them construct construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. So we're given a further clue, this unfolding story of redemption. God stepping into his own curse because he would end up wearing the curse. And he turned the curse, what represented a place of humiliation and degradation, he turned it into a crown of victory. His blood ran, and that thorn, he stepped in war. And he said, now it's your victory, because I have overcome. And so let them construct a sanctuary for me. And then we have the Ark of the Covenant. Some of this we touched on last week. Then we have the table of showbread, all made of acacia wood. Does everybody know what acacia wood is? It's a tree covered in thorns. God specifically told them when they gave the instructions to Moses, make it all out of acacia wood. A tree absolutely covered in thorns. The thorns that they put on Jesus' head, they were from an acacia bush. And so he said, make it all out of acacia wood. The Ark of the Covenant. And yet he said one thing because it became a prophetic sign of what he was doing. Overlay it all in gold. You see, he would come amongst our sins, take our sins, and then overlay us with glory. Can somebody give me a hallelujah? That's what he did. That's who we are. No devil going to lie to me. And so we enter into this time and all these instruments, all these things that were in the temple. The Ark of the Covenant. Again, acacia wood contained the staff of Aaron and the budded, the dead stick that came to life. Sign of delegated authority. God has delegated authority. He anoints delegated authority. Pastor Ian was just talking about. And it's not about the person, it's about Jesus, but Jesus still moves through people. And we have the manna that John 6 ends up speaking and says, not as your fathers ate, and died, you will eat differently. 
but yet that manna was the presence of God that was among his people. And see, a presence doesn't need to be kept and renewed by keeping collecting more. That's why they had to get rid of it every day. Take what you need because I'm sufficient for tomorrow. I know your needs before you ask for them. I know what they are. Here's what I want. The Bible says, don't ask. And then it says, ask. So we got a dyslexic God? No, here's what God is saying. Because when you understand the thorns are gone and you're overlaid in glory, what God is interested in is not your wants because he already knows what we need before we even ask. What he's interested in is in your desires, your dreams and your hopes. We got to get a church to start dreaming and hoping again. Dream the dreams. Why? Because it's all been overlaid in glory. And so we have Moses' temple. We have David who makes a temple against the law. And then we have Solomon's temple. All of them made of a stone and acacia wood, overlaid with gold. Prophetic sign. And in the Holy of Holies, where the priest could only go in once a year, what was there? was the presence of God. And the presence of God, that Ark of the Covenant would become the womb of Mary. The one who carried the old and carried the new came announced by an angel, received by a word, and her womb became the new Ark to carry the presence asked John the Baptist if Mary was anointed. And so we have this continually unfolding drama, godly drama, in presence, in thorns, and now God expressing, saying, I'm going to come and dwell. In Moses' temple and David's temple, But David did something because he saw the Father's heart. The presence of God was so thick in the temple, it's like the priest couldn't even minister. Because what one priest could only do by going in once a year, David said, we're all going to do it now. See, he knew what Peter would put words to, that you're a holy nation, a royal priesthood. There is no such thing. It says, beware of the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. You know what the Nicolaitans did? They're the ones that made laity and clergy. You see it all over the historic church. You know, only the priest can do it. Only because he's the priest and we're just the laity. Beware of the doctrine of Nicolaitans. And so we have this continuing unfolding story. David's tabernacle centered around the presence of God, the Ark of the Covenant when he carried it in. I don't know how many bulls he slaughtered, but there was a lot as he brought it into Zion, into Jerusalem, where he set up the tent. And then David did something prophetically in 1 Samuel 21, verse 6. You don't have to turn there. We don't have time. 
But Jesus ended up referring to it in Matthew 12, verse 4. When he was being attacked by the Pharisees and the Sadducees because the disciples were picking grain on the Sabbath day. And Jesus said, do you not know that David went to the priests and ate the showbread? Ate it. Only meant for the priests. Only the Levitical priesthood could eat it. He ate it and didn't die. Because he knew that the bread of presence, eating the presence of God would become something that would be normalized through the incarnation. That God wanted us not only to be, but to eat. Because God knew that we, because of our sins, we would always have a proclivity to run back to the fact that we think this is evil. The third century of the church, the Council of Nicaea, they dealt with a great heresy, Gnostic heresy. It dealt with elitism. I know, gnosis, knowledge. I know, therefore I'm better than you. And the other thing that was attached to it, well, if I know that I'm better than you, is that because I know I am more holier than thou, and my flesh is more holier than your flesh. So it developed into this mindset that this, our flesh, was evil. And it led to further heresies that God was not really Jesus in the flesh because God could never become flesh because we're evil. And so the true story of glory for Thomas, when I say the name word Thomas, what's the, the apostle Thomas? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Oh, he's that guy that didn't believe. <laughs> Naughty Thomas. That dumb disciple. How can he not get it? But there's a glory story in it. Blessed are those who have not seen, but blessed are you, Thomas, because what Jesus was saying, I'm here resurrected state, I want you to feel me, handle me, touch me, so you'll never become Gnostic, so you'll realize that your flesh now sits on the right-hand side of God. Somebody give me a hallelujah. We're in a perpetual state of glory. Read Revelation 4, the throne room of God. Jasper, white diamond light. Sardis stone, and around the throne an emerald ra rainbow, which is life. Sardis stone is blood red. In the throne room in heaven, the blood of Jesus is on the throne. Whoa. So God does this like really amazing thing. In Leviticus 23, because he's dealing with an agrarian society. He says, well, you know, how am I gonna teach them the rhythm 
because I've created time for them, but I, don't, I live outside of time. I live in the eternal present. God is the same what? Yesterday, today, and forever. Eternal present. And so he said, well, we have a spring harvest and we have a fall harvest. And he's thinking, I could just see him in the throne room thinking with Jesus and the Holy Ghost. And he's thinking, he said, well, we gotta get this. We gotta, you're gonna eat my presence. And so he says in Leviticus 23, he makes this offering dynamic. And he says that in the spring harvest, before you eat anything, you gotta bring the first fruits, that which you first cut, give it to the Leviticus, give it to the priest, and they're gonna wave it before God, and it will be accepted, and then have at it. Make all your, the bread you want. And so the spring harvest in Israel was the barley harvest. It was the hearty grain. It was the one that would last all year. And in the fall harvest was the wheat harvest. So the same thing was done. Now we see in Exodus 25, the table of showbread made from acacia wood. The showbread was what is called the lahem, the bread of presence. It was always to be in the tabernacle, one loaf for each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Each the nation was always to be in the presence of God. And God always wanted his presence over his people. That's the bread David ate. And so not only, and it was leavened, it was leavened because leaven is a change agent. And leaven also represents the Holy Ghost. So that when you're in my presence, and you are my presence, and when you're eating my presence, it's all culminating in a double hit of the Holy Ghost. The double anointing of Elisha, where do we get it today? We are, and when we eat. It's a holy collision. And so God establishes the spring wave sheaf offering and the fall wave sheaf offering. Spring, barley harvest. Fall, wheat harvest. Now, why is this important? It gets really good. Remember, he's dealing with eating and he's dealing with thorns. We already know where the thorns end up on his head. I can tell you and I'll show you and you'll know just as much as I know what kind of bread Jesus used at the Last Supper, which really was the first supper. I know what kind of table they sat at. And I know the 12 represented the 12 tribes of Israel. And there they are, the presence of God himself, the lahem, the lahem of God, Jesus, the bread of heaven, sitting at a table, 12 Jews. And Jesus does something amazing, the cup of mercy which nobody ever drank, he drank it. Because the mercy seat, 
that was in the center of the Ark of the Covenant, covered by the cherub angels' wings, was now alive. When Mary ran into the tomb, Mary Magdalene, the disciples saw the folded garments. You know what Mary saw? She saw the two angels. One standing at the head, one standing at the feet where Jesus had been laying. Except there was no body because the mercy seat is alive. It was represented on the Ark of the Covenant. So God begins, remember, barley, spring harvest, wheat, fall harvest. And we have this amazing thing. Everybody knows the story of Gideon, right? Probably read it a million times, just like I did. Maybe a million and one. And then this one verse just like jumped right off the page. Judges 7, verse 13. When Gideon, when, so Gideon's like afraid now. He's a, he got 300 men cut down from 10,000. He asked her to, he's got to deliver the nation from all the ites. And they're all there. So he's in with the Midianites. And God, you know, says, well, listen, if you don't believe me, why don't you just take your friend and go down in the camp? Sometimes it's good to believe God because otherwise he may send you to the enemy's camp to get a word of the God, a word of the Lord, to deal with your fear. So he sends Gideon down into the enemy's camp and one Midianite is talking to his best friend, the other Midianite, and he has this dream. God can give anybody a dream. So he gives the enemy, what's that say about God? All men will confess and every knee will bow. It's just a matter of time. And so he says to his friend, I had this dream that a barley loaf came rolling into the camp and it rolled over the tent. Surely it must be the God of Gideon who's come to annihilate us. Well, he gave a prophetic word. An enemy can give a prophetic word. And I asked the question, why a barley loaf? What the heck? God, a barley loaf? The spring wave sheaf offering? The hardy grain that lasts from year to year, the staple, the standard, the basis of everything you eat. Jesus himself disguised as a barley loaf. The reason why Gideon won is because Melchizedek came and ruled over them all. The barley loaf. Are, do we get like barleys like God likes barley. So we have this other amazing encounter. with Elisha. Now a man came from Baal something or other and brought the man of God, this is Elisha. Now notice what he brings. 
bread of the first fruits. Okay, so we already know it's been offered unto the Lord. And what does he bring? 20 loaves of barley and fresh ears of grain in a sack. And he said, give them to the people that they may eat. His attendant, notice what his attendant says. His attendant says, what will I set this before a hundred men? But he said, give them to the people that they may eat. For thus says the Lord, they shall eat and have some left over. Where do we see this playing out in the New Testament with Jesus? In the feeding of the 5,000 and the feeding of the 4,000. How many loaves of barley did the young boy have? He had five loaves of barley. So Jesus was taking himself, breaking himself, distributing to the people, showing himself five loaves of barley that he was the fulfillment of the old covenant law. Now everything, and because of who he is and who he was and who he will continue to be, everything in him, he is the fulfillment of the old covenant law. Five barley loaves. He took himself and he broke it and fed 20,000 people. And how many baskets were left over? 12 apostolic grace released from the nation. Feeding of the 4,000. How many barley loaves? We know it's in the spring because in the spring was the barley harvest. Feeding of the 4,000. The next miracle occurred shortly thereafter. How many loaves of bread? Seven. How many baskets left over? Seven. Showing that in him, in Jesus, is perfect holiness, righteousness, and in him, the barley loaf, we are complete. Somebody eat some bread. And so what Elisha did and so we have the four elements of Eucharist. Eucharist means great thanksgiving. It's all it means. Kill that religious cow. It's not a Catholic saying. Eucharist comes from the Greek word eucharisto, which means great thanksgiving. Can you think of another great thanksgiving? I can't. Great thanksgivings. And so... Elisha shows what Jesus was going to do. He himself. And so it culminates all the way through. So we get to the wedding of Cana in Galilee. But first the statement is made. So we have thorns and bread now prophetically declaring that the bread of heaven had come. For us, for all of us, and we've run away because we got afraid of Mary, and we all have a disease. Church has a disease. You know what it's called? Romophobia. If it happens in Rome, we'll do the exact opposite because they're the great who are of Babylon. But let me tell you something. 
God has preserved with our Roman brothers the mysteries of the church. And because we got into our head and got out of our heart, we've created a sterile environment where Jesus wants us to come. The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we saw his glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. And after he calls Nathaniel, he manifested his glory. Where? At a wedding. Cana of Galilee. Everybody thinks it's about wine. It's got nothing to do with wine. The message that Jesus was giving, and it's why God the Father, Jesus never did anything that the Father wasn't saying or doing. The Holy Spirit used Mary. And the Father confirmed the word. And he took six ceremonial pots that were used in purification ceremony for the nation. The barley loaf now sitting at the table at a wedding, declaring I'm gonna marry my bride. And the blood, the wine that was saved for the end because I'm here, me, Jesus, my blood, On the third day, notice the timing in the, in the third day of the wedding. Resurrection. God's saying that my blood will never run out. It will cover everything for all time and for all time to come and all time that existed. The beginning of the signs. The third day, the new wine of covenant. The bread of presence, the wine of purity and holiness and everything that Jesus is. Here's a theological term, hypostatic union. That God and the person of Jesus were united as one. But the person of Jesus never operated out of his Godhead. He did every miracle. He performed everything as a spirit-filled, pew-jumping, prophesying king, priest, and prophet, just like all of you. That's why he came. Because now I'm going to show you acacia wood that doesn't have thorns anymore, acacia wood that's covered in glory because you're my glory and I want you to go do because I've set the bar, but you know what? Greater works than these will you do in my name. So wake up, call to the church. And so, the wedding he declares what Mary knew. You see, a mother that just has a baby, what does she normally do with that baby? 
holds it to her chest, nurtures it. What did Mary do? Mary wrapped him in, we like to call them swaddling clothes. Like this cute little picture in a manger with swaddling clothes. You know what she wrapped him in? Because Mary knew. Mary wrapped Jesus, the baby. You imagine the word became wordless. Think about that. The word. All things were created by him, through him, and in him. The word became wordless, that he may dwell among us. And so Mary knew. Mary deserves some respect. She wrapped him in grave clothes because she knew his life would be given for the life of the world. And she placed him in a feeding trough where the animals ate out of because she knew his body and blood would be consumed by the church and be given to the world. Saint Veronica, we know her as the woman with the issue of blood. Why did the woman with the issue of blood go to the one who would give his blood? Because she knew the blood would make her clean. And so we have the barley loaf sitting with 12, the church, at a table. The showbread now made manifest. Sitting with his church. He makes this amazing statement in Luke 22. He said, how I've eagerly, in verse 15, how I've eagerly desired to have this Passover with you. He had been waiting 6,000 years to wear the thorns, to break himself, and to give himself for the life of the world and fulfill the promise that he made. You will eat bread. And so in Matthew 26, 26, While they're eating, Jesus took some bread. After a blessing, he broke it, gave it to the disciples, and said, take eat. This is my body. Wow. Really? That's a yeah, but. So I got one piece of advice for you. If you have a yeah, but, give up quick. Because God's going to come and deal with your yeah, buts. And when he had taken the cup, given them thanks, 
He gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. But I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new in my father's house or my father's kingdom, which was three days later. The day of resurrection. This is not about wine. It's about the blood of Jesus. There's another one just... God can operate in anything. So he said, drink it all of you. From all the accounts, notice it's Matthew the tax collector, the detail guy, where it says for the forgiveness of sins, it's only spoken once. Jesus declared this before he went to the cross. It was a prophetic statement that I'm going, my blood's going to flow, and the forgiveness of sins will be finished for good because I'm declaring it is finished. In all of the other accounts through the Gospels, you'll never see the words for the forgiveness of sins as it relates to communion. That was a revelation I got after 20 years being a priest. And always they quoted this in the Eucharistic liturgy. Until one day, by the grace of Almighty God, I woke up in a spirit of revelation, looked at all the other accounts and all the other gospels, and the one we'll read from you tonight, and the words for the forgiveness of sins is never spoken again. Jesus said and instituted this before he went to the cross. Declaring what he was releasing in his blood and in his broken body. In his broken body and the stripes, we are what? We were healed. The power he has given to us. And we've allowed ourselves to get robbed by getting in our head. Here's the last one. And then I want to get you to where I want to go. John 6. I think probably, perhaps, maybe, the book of John is like uh, apartment buildings or office buildings. You've got floor 12 and then 14. They skip 13 because it's a bad number. So you've got John 5 and then John 7, and we just kind of skip over and throw out John 6 because we can't understand it. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever, and the bread also which I give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews, the unbelievers, began to argue with one another, saying, how can this man give his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, that means, like, pay attention. 
I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, this is Jesus speaking, so don't get mad at me. You have no life in you. Jesus didn't play around. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will, I will, it's a promise, I will raise him up in the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. Where have you heard that word abide there? It's the Greek word meno. John 15. In, the, in six verses in John 15, it uses, Jesus uses the word abide. He abides in me, I in him. If you are attached to the branch, I abide in you. It's the same word, meno. It means to remain. John 15, 10 times in six verses, abide. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, same Greek word, meno, to remain, to remain steadfast. Of course, you know what everybody does. As a result of this, many of the disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. Abide. Okay. How important is it? Luke 24. Why do we do it? Here's why. We've already known one. Because it's a collision that God promised. God initiated it. It's a place of abiding. It's how we remain. Yeah, well, I'm spirit-filled. I can prophesy. I can. Yeah, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up in the last day. If you don't do it, you have no life in you. I didn't say it. I'm only preaching it. It's the truth. You shall know the truth, and the truth will make you crazy. Because you'll get free. You'll get free. This is all about freedom, church. It's about freedom. Christ has set us free. So how did it impact? Now, here's the resurrected Jesus meeting the crew. Luke 24, he's walking on a road to Emmaus. He pulls up and appears right beside him. Jesus now can walk through doors and he can do whatever he wants because he's in a glorified state, exactly what we will be. So he walks up and he starts as we started out on this campaign in verse 26, as he revealed to him the things concerning himself beginning with Moses. Then he goes on and he begins to open up the scriptures. And then we have a testimony from the 12 or two of the 12 apostles as they're walking back on the road to Emmaus, back into Jerusalem, on the resurrection, wondering about Jesus. Notice 
what Jesus does. You can go through the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. Every time it says, you know what we do when we come to this place? It says that Jesus reclined. Because get ready, I'm about to move. This is a place, Jacob's ladder. Prophetic sign. He rested his head upon the barley loaf, the rock and said, surely I didn't know that God was in this place and the angels ascending and descending. If you're experiencing angelic hosts right now, it's because this house is loaded with them. You want to attract heaven? You get near to this with a pure heart that simply says, I believe what you say, Jesus, and I'm throwing everything out because it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what you said and what you do, and I'm going to walk in obedience with it. End of story. Amen. So they said, he reclined at the table. Notice what Jesus does. They don't know who he is. He's talking to them. He still, they don't recognize him. No idea who this dude is. But you know what? He's like making our hearts burn. You see, whenever we get into the word, our hearts will burn. Because we're with the word. And we're with the word. And we are the word. His DNA is wrapped around our DNA. We're one. At one one. At atonement's been completed. He reclined at the table. He took some bread and blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. So what happens? And they got up that very hour, returned to Jerusalem, found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, the Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. Notice verse 35. Here it is. They began to relate their experiences on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of bread. So what do we get? What gets imputed to us by just obeying and believing? What gets given to us is identity, revelation, recognition. You want to know the purpose of your eat communion for three days in a row. And give up the turkey. Have the true thanksgiving. You'll know. You'll hear. Because he'll be there. And so it's a place of encounter. It's a place for us of promise. You will eat my presence. Do we have the presence? Yes. But it's the holy collision. Jesus had a body, he had a soul, and he was also fully divine. He had a spirit, soul, and body. The humanity of Jesus. But he was also hypostatic union. God in the flesh. So when we participate 
in his body and his blood, we also participate in his divinity. Oh, that's got some weight on it. You want to participate in the divine? Eat them. And it's for everybody. For all you Jesus freaks, it's for us. How he was recognized in the breaking of a bread. Identities released. Purpose. Steadfastness. How can you eat God and not be changed? It's the holy change table. You struggling with something in your life? Eat Jesus. You wake up in the morning and be delivered. How can you encounter God in a very physical, tangible way? And he made it that way because he's saying we're all the same. We're covered in glory. So glory people eat glory food so we can participate even more in the glory. And so recognize those encounters. Saint Ignatius, everybody remember who Ignatius was? He was that little child that Jesus picked up, put him on his lap, started blessing the children. Disciples rebuked Jesus, said, you know, you haven't got time for this, Jesus. We got to get to the next destination. We got a schedule to keep. So he ended up rebuking them. This is what Ignatius, he wrote extensively, became a bishop in Rome, was martyred for his belief in Jesus. He wrote extensively on Holy Communion. And I borrowed this from him. It's the title of my book. Title of God's book. The Medicine of Immortality. How can you partake and not be affected physically. If you read in 1 Corinthians 11, why are many among you weak and sickly? It says, not discerning the Lord's body, not believing what he says this is. So have some died and gone to heaven too early? Yep. Because we've run away from this because we got Romophobia. But I say thank God for Rome. But God's preserved in Rome. But where they use it for population control, Jesus made it for everybody. It was never meant to be just for one side. It's meant for everybody, for the life of the world. Mary knew it. So now we're going to eat. And if you take Jesus in, and if you fall out, that's okay. How can you encounter God and not be affected?